In this episode, I have a review of the Supers module Agony and Ecstasy, and I let you into some of the secrets within my campaign world and how I create them. And Lawrence pops in to provide an overview of the last year. Welcome to the Mithras Matters podcast, season one, episode eight, mystical updates and campaign modules. Welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I'm your host, Inwills, and although we might be having Loz popping in later for a Christmas message, I'm all by myself this month, hence the title. But just because there is only me at this end of the mic, it doesn't mean that there is going to be no content, not at all. I said I would bring you a podcast every month, and that I will do. Apparently, I have the perfect voice for podcasting. Hang on, or was that to do with my face? First up, huge news. And when I say huge, I mean huge. This podcast is hosted by a company called Buzzsprout. Other companies are available. Every now and again, they send you really nice emails saying how things are going. And last month, I received an email congratulating us, saying this podcast, the one you've been listening to and hopefully enjoying, has reached, just reached 2,000 plays. Yay! If you have any champagne close by, now is the time to pop that cork and celebrate. I must say a huge thank you to everyone who has agreed to be interviewed for the podcast, for people who provide content, and most importantly, to you for listening. Literally couldn't do it without you. I know this is true because my podcast about science, Geeky in Wells, is currently only at 14 plays after three episodes. Maybe science isn't as popular as Mithras. Okay, next, some campaign updates. I hope your Mithras adventures are going well. Our campaign is awaiting to be restarted again after a few weeks breaks. Real world commitments. I find they can really impact on your gaming schedule, especially as you get closer to Christmas. We finished the story of Sewer Jack, which I have to say has been one of my favourite storylines that I've ever created. If you are interested in seeing how the pro seeing how the process went, then you can find my adventure reflection video on YouTube. Um, links in the show notes. You can also pick up the adventure notes from my website inwills.co.uk. I hope this isn't going to end up with a podcast all about me self promoting. Uh, I'll have to be careful in the futures. 
Anyway, back to our campaign. We had one session that we could run between a series of Saturdays with no sessions. So I was hoping to make a bit of venture which was very short and lasted only the three hours that we play for. I also decided that I wanted to get the players to play their characters individually. They often work well together, but it would be interesting to see what they did by themselves. No metagaming would be allowed. It was interesting seeing them make their own decisions. The party have already annoyed the leader of the Thieves Guild, Lindo, Sniffer, the head rogue, escaped when they rescued the real guild mistress after being played by their employers. I was thinking Sniffer, with all his resources at his fingertips, probably would want to make an example of these players. So I decided to attack them as they were heading to their first adventure meeting of at their favourite haunt, the Hairy Hobgoblin. Now, although Hazra and Hengist, the two combat proficient characters, could probably handle themselves in a fight, I didn't want the less combat orientated characters, Bartleby and Gulliver, being at a disadvantage. So I called in some other people that Sniffer had a grudge with. With the thug sheets created and printed out, I was ready for action. Hazra was attacked in his country house, with one of my favourite lines being hailed at him. Hazra, come out, come out, or we will burn your house down. Yes, if you don't know the story about the three little pigs, that was probably wasted. Hengist got attacked by thugs on his way to the tavern, which he dealt with very effectively. Bartleby was leaving his church when somebody arrived unexpectedly to accompany him to the tavern, just as crossbow bolts flew from the shadows in all direction. And finally Gulliver arrived at the guild house, only to find that someone else had been summoned there as well, with the guards already entrenched in the darkness in the first room, ready to attack. It was interesting to say the least. And if you want to see what happened, then you can find the full video on YouTube. My favourite bit was the ended ending. Wait, that sounded wrong. I don't mean I was pleased when it was ending. It wasn't because it had finished. It was just because the player decided that they now wanted their own revenge on Sniffer. I love it when the players provide me with the ideas for the next series of sessions. Okay, before I see if Lawrence is popping in for his segment, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast would not happen without everyone's contributions. And if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then just drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover. You can email me at inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums I frequent. Okay, I can't see Lawrence anywhere. The snow is coming down fast outside. So let's move on. Time for the review segment. In the last month's episode, I provided a review of the module White Death. If you missed it, then do go out and go and check last month's episode of Mithras Matters. Well, after checking the inbox for contributions for this month's episode, I found that they had obviously, everyone had obviously been caught up um, with preparation for Christmas, so I decided to do another review for you myself, this time on the Supers module Agony and Ecstasy. Welcome to Gemini City. 
Down in Brigadier Bay, someone has a grudge. Gang members are taking a beating. Corrupt cops are taking more than a payoff. But Gemini City has always had vigilantes. This is someone with a score to settle. And there will be no rest until everyone has been made to pay. It is down to the heroes to get to the bottom of things and ensure that innocent people are not caught in the fallout. Agony and Ecstasy is a module for the Mithras rule set which takes the players to the world of superheroes. Developed and written by Michael Larrymore, the module is 29 pages long and contains everything you will need to run and enjoy the adventure. The module is set in the Brigadier Bay area of Gemini City, a city of two parts founded by 16th century Spanish explorers. The city is your usual haunt of crime, passion and of course superheroes and villains, with the number of both increasing drastically within the last 15 years due to the DNA mutation dubbed the God Strand. Six pre-generated characters are supplied within the module, accompanied with the basic rules for super creation if the players would like to make up their own. If you are unfamiliar with the system or playing the module as a one-off adventure, then I would encourage you to use the pre-gen characters. There are many aspects of them which are undefined, which will allow your players to adapt them to suit their own playing style. Also, there's some interesting relationships between some of the characters, make, providing the opportunities for a range of role-playing. The plot is centred around the disappearance of one of Gemini City's do-gooders, a volunteer at the St. Bridget Refuge. However, as with any adventure, this turns out to be far more than a usual disappearance. The adventure is presented in a series of events or encounters which the GM can guide the players through or which can be delivered in response to how the players investigate the plot. The module introduced the contents of the COPS system, COPS, an application developed by the local police force which stands for Citizens Observe and Protect. Using a free app on mobile devices, anyone can report a criminal activity in their area and the authorities can issue warnings to steer clear of any dangerous situations in Gemini City. Heroes and vigilantes find the alerts useful to get to the scene of the crime first. I also, when GMing this model, found this extremely useful to guide the players as well as them allowing, allowing them to tackle some of the basic criminals within the city. The module has the right mix of action and investigation and can be adapted to any playing style with your group, which your group is familiar with. From encountering the supervillains to stopping biker gangs, the players will enjoy having the power of superheroes at their fingertips. Agony and Ecstasy is available from Eon Games priced £9.99 pence, which includes a free PDF and from the Design Mechanism store at $10.99 cent 
I'll leave the link to both of these in the show notes. If you want to know more about the new Supers rule set, then do check out October's episode of Mithras Matters, where you will find an interview with the two creators, Matt and Brian. I learned so much about the new system from their interview, so well worth a listen. Next up, here's Lawrence or Lars with the overview of the year. Take it away, Lars. As we reach the end of the year, I thought I'd reflect on some of the things that we've done over the past 12 months and update you on some of the things to look forward to for 2020. This year has seen a steady production schedule and some surprising new projects. Our major releases have been Worlds United, our retro Rockets and Reagan setting, and Soar and Dib, a Thendler book that reworks some material previously published for Legend. Both books have been very well received, and Worlds United has proven to be timely with the BBC's adaptation of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Soar and Dib showed there was still an ardent market for Thendler, and so we will capitalise on that next year with Task and Adventures and a new scenario. We also released the first of our training combat modules, devised and written by Dan True. This was a sleeper hit, and it's proven to be very popular that sold consistently well since it was released. We thought that the idea of a focused combat scenario would be a good way of helping people to get to grips with Mithras combat, but we didn't know that it would be as popular as it is. The same is also true for the Mithras Companion, which we released in the late summer. Both have been well received and show that GMs and players want and need this kind of modestly priced companion rule support. Products like the Combat Training Modules and Mithras Companion help us shape our overall product range. We're both delighted and surprised at how well they've been received. Two other surprises were Codifert Stipul, which is a scenario for Leoness, and Casting the Runes for Gumshoe. Codifert Stipule was originally intended to be nothing more than something Chris Hart, a lifelong Leoness fan, could run at UK Games Expo to help promote the game. I somehow managed to work it up into a publishable adventure that gives everyone a taste of what to expect when we release the full Leoness game next year. It wasn't planned, but I'm really happy that we managed to release it in a publishable format, and it's a great little introduction to Jack Vance's world and a fun scenario to play. Casting the Runes, on the other hand, is our very first non-Mithras release. Based on the stories of The Supernatural by M.R. James, it came to us fully formed and oven-ready, courtesy of Paul St. John McIntosh, the editor of Mythic Babylon. Paul had written the game and was looking for a way to publish it. Pete and I reviewed it, thought it captured the themes and atmosphere of M.R. James perfectly, and so decided to bring it out under the TM banner. Casting the Runes is basically ready for release, but we're going to run a Kickstarter campaign for it in January to fund a lot of interior artwork and create a lovely collectible offset print edition. More details on the Kickstarter will come over the next few weeks as we get ready to send the campaign live in the new year. So let's turn now to things that we've got in progress. Back in the first edition of Mithras Matters, I gave a rundown on things that we're currently working on. So let me update that pipeline list for you now. First of all, some disappointing news. Sadly, Mythic Aztecs is no longer in the pipeline. Kenson Tondre desperately wanted to complete this book, but a variety of things slowed progress, and we agreed between us to let the project drop. Ken's just as disappointed as we are, but these things happen sometimes, and while the project's on hiatus, it may find a new writer in the not-too-distant future. 
On a more positive note, though, we've just taken delivery of the manuscript for Mark Shirley's Mythic Polynesia. That came in this morning, and I'm really looking forward to reviewing that. Mark's a terrific writer, and I just know that this is going to be a super book. We also have Alex Green's Fiora Cheetah. That's now into layout with its artwork taking shape nicely. While we won't have the book released this side of January, it's going to be an early 2020 release and one to really look forward to. We will be preparing a preview, and I'll talk more about that shortly. Mythic Babylon is complete and has been prepared for art direction and layout during the early part of next year, and that should put us on track for a summer or autumn release for it. It's a huge, highly detailed, highly original book, and one that they're really looking forward to releasing. Leoness is well into layout, and that will be one of our flagship 2020 releases, most likely around February or March. It's a complete game with an exhaustive section dealing the, detailing the Elder Isles, all the rules needed for play, and unique chapters covering proper Vancian magic, other dimensions, generating meals in the Vancian style, and all manner of quirky and fun things to include in campaigns. The game's likely to clock in at the 400 page mark, but it will be a complete, thorough and very funny guide to the Leoness setting. I really can't wait to share that one with you. Work on Department M, our espionage setting for Mithras, is still underway, and we're hoping that this will see publication sometime around the summer of 2020. And, as featured a couple of podcasts ago, our superhero game Destined is now into a second draft and detailed playtesting territory, expertly helmed by Mike Larrymore and Brian Pivik. Now, with Christmas just around the corner, we thought we'd offer some previews of things that are well into their production cycle. And so the December issue of our newsletter will contain exclusive previews of the content and layout for Fiora Cheetah, Casting the Runes and Leoness. If you already subscribe to the newsletter, then you'll be getting it around mid-December. If you don't, there's plenty of time to sign up. You can see the sign-up link from our website at www.thedesignmechanism.com. It's well worth becoming a subscriber. You get exclusive sneak previews such as these, and we offer exclusive subscriber discounts too. So don't delay if you don't want to miss out. One more treat for Christmas. I mentioned earlier how well... Breaking the Habit, our combat training module was received. Well, the second module is ready, and we will be releasing it for sale around the middle of December. Tape Cover focuses on ranged combat and walks players and GMs through a perilous encounter between lizard folk and humans on somewhere suspiciously like Monster Island. Just as with Breaking the Habit, Tape Cover contains extensive notes on how to make the most of ranged combat and is a complete scenario with full maps and character tokens, fully usable with Roll20 or principle for the tabletop. That kind of wraps up my segment for now, but I'd just like to offer my profound and continued thanks to Winwills for his wonderful work here on Mithras Matters and his regular YouTube videos and live streams. This time last year, we were wondering how to put together something like a podcast and video series, and quite by chance we came across Ian's work. Please continue to support him by listening, watching, and contributing to his Patreon page. Ian, thanks very much for all the work that you're doing on our behalf. And on behalf of the Design Mechanism team, that's me, Pete, Chris, Brian, Rod, Sophie, Carol and Paul, let me wish all of you a very Mithras Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you, Lawrence, for those kind words and that fantastic update. I will definitely be looking at Breaking the Habit Part 2. 
Anyway, last month, Lawrence, or Laws, as many of you know him, provided a really interesting segment about the use of skills over 100% and how they impact on the gameplay. Well, I thought I would try to do something similar myself this month. So here is the rule segment. I was just thinking then, I should have sent this script to someone who could have just read it, so you don't just hear my own dulcet tones for the whole of the episode. Of course, I could change my voice in post-production. Ah, that's an idea. Higher or lower? When I used to play the other RPG, AD&D 1st Edition, and more recently D&D 5th Edition, I was always interested in what was known as optional rules, especially things like encumbrance. One thing I was more interested in was the placement of characters' equipment. I always remember players insisting that they were carrying 10-foot poles around with them during their dungeon crawls. I guess I am more interested in realism rather than carrying everything in a backpack sort of idea. One rule which we do play always, and one which can cause the players some headaches, is fatigue. Now, I'm not sure whether this is a popular rule or not. One aspect of the system that we play is the number of combat rounds the players can continue in combat before having to make an endurance check. If they fail, then, then they suffer one level of fatigue. The number of combat rounds that the character can be in combat for before they need to roll is calculated by taking their constitution in seconds and rounding up. With a combat round taking five seconds, our characters have either two or three rounds before the roll happens. You can find all the information on page 79 of the core rulebook. Playing this rule has really had, has really had an impact on the game for us. Players know how dangerous combat is, so we'll try and avoid it at all costs. But if there is no other choice, they will try and defeat their opponents as quickly as they possibly can in order to resist the fatigue check. Bartleby, the party's theist, has also taken spells to reduce or even disperse the fatigue. I also like to make endurance rolls for resisting fatigue when characters stay up all night or insist on walking, riding for the longer than the usual eight hours a day. Also, weather or water can produce the need for fatigue checks. Wading through a swamp is a lot harder than walking through a town and this becomes even harder when you're clad out in full iron armour. I really like the realism that fatigue rules bring, although I must admit it takes a good roleplay to actually not try to justify ploughing loads of skill points into the endurance skill in order to try and counteract that fatigue roll. Again, a perfect opportunity for more roleplaying, that character with a low constitution or a gippy leg. So what about you? Do you play the fatigue in, in combat with your characters or players? If so, do you like it? And if not, why not? There is no point shouting at me. 
just go to the forum where you found the thread for that this episode and let me know. I'm sure everyone has a view on fatigue. Oh, and if I got anything wrong, then please do let me know as well. I'm always happy to learn and correct misconceptions. And now I think I have an idea for a new segment. Have something to say to the podcast, something which you agree or disagree with, then why not record it and send it to us here at Mithras Matters. You can record it via free audio software called an Audacity and email it to me as a WAV or MP3 file to inwills at gmail.com. It would be great to hear from some of you and it would mean that you didn't have to listen to me all the time. Just use the following format for your audio file. Say your name and location and then your comment, question or response. Save it and email it to me and you could be featuring in next month's Have Your Say segment. I know some of you commented that the last episode, episode 7, was a bit short or shorter than usual. Well, I'm not going to let that happen again. So let's move on to campaign ideas. You might be aware that I produce YouTube videos covering the rules of Mithras for both the beginner and the more experienced. I generally try to do one a month and this month's was all about mystics. If you've watched the video, you'll be aware that I mentioned that I would say how I incorporate them into my existing campaigns here in the podcast. Feel free to use any idea or thoughts I present here. I'm always up for sharing. So mystics can be very powerful. If you have a well-established brotherhood in your campaign, then this can actually support the mystics' development as well as limiting them. We once had a barbarian-type mystic in the group who proved very effective in combat. Using a war cry and opposing muscle display, he would summon his talents and then demonstrate how deadly accurate he was as swinging his huge axe. After seeing the power of the mystics, I decided that within my own campaign world, they do exist but they would be, well, more restricted. I didn't want everybody running around being a mystic. I got my idea for how they exist in my campaign from the old TV programme Kung Fu, if anyone is old enough to remember that. Here's a section of what I wrote for anyone wanting to play a mystic in the campaign. The mystics were thought to have gone from Odess. When the unlikely or the improbable was mentioned in any context, common folk would use the phrase, and I've just seen a mystic, as an apt and humorous reply. Before the first intercontinental war, the mystics were a dominant power within the world. Their powers of perfection allowed them to permeate almost every walk of life, from healers to merchants. Most brotherhoods, whether they would be theists or sorcerers, employed a member of the Order of True Reflection to support and benefit their practices. From combat 
to healing, the mystics would add their own unique prowess to the activities of guilds in order to allow them to also seek and perhaps achieve perfection. But it soon became aware that they were straying from their own personal goals. Meditation practices were lost and the mystics became more and more involved in the promotion of power within their orders in which they served rather than the perfection of themselves. Their power slowly started to fail as their connection to the source of their power which flows throughout the fabric of the world was lost. As their power failed, so did their purpose to everyone else and the need for mystics left the brotherhoods. Mystics were across the continent cast to one side or if their skills were naturally proficient absorbed as normal retainers. Their connection to the fabric of the world faded and then was lost. The order of true reflection was disbanded and eventually became no more. But it has become apparent that the order did not completely disband or leave the continent of Odes. Even as the order failed and faltered, the more devout members fled and went into the far reaches of their world living as lonely hermits and travellers. They hide their power, and as they did, the suspicion of their power grew. Rather than being a substantial respected force in the world, they became feared and shunned. They rarely engaged with human contact, avoiding the main cities of the world, or using their unique powers in public. But the last mystics were pure and determined to re-establish their order in some manner. Members of the new order seeked each other out and started to form a new, purer order, the Order of the Tranquil Wind. Now just a gentle breeze, but soon to become a significant gale. However, not all mystics are working towards this perfection. Some have found that through meditation they have been able to channel their internal power to less admirable tasks and activities. It is rumoured that within Odes there is an opposing order forming. Up to now it is just known as the Order of Silent Death. Whether this is true, it is not completely known. All the information about the campaign, including more information about the Order of Mystics, Sorcerers and Theists, is freely available on my website inworlds.co.uk. And that's it. I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have creating and recording it. I'm looking forward to chatting to you all in the new year. Hoping Loz will be able to provide some teasers for what we can expect in 2020 in the January episode of Mithras Matters. Until then, have a great month of gaming and I will chat to you again in January. So until next month, 
let's hope that all your opposed roles succeed and provide you with a well-earned special. Thanks for listening. Oh, and by the way, have a happy Christmas. The content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. So please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.